It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learnt that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. This is the word of the Lord. So what a cliffhanger that is. What happens next? What happens to Daniel? The the story of Daniel is an amazing story. We obviously can't read it all today. The the book's got, I think, 12 chapters in it, and it. And it's an extraordinary read. I want to encourage you, you know, go home and read it. Read it to your children. They wouldn't do it as a movie. It'd be too ridiculous to, to, to believe that it could happen. It's an extraordinary story. Just like Gideon's story is that, you know, last week, they're both unbelievable stories. So we're looking uh, just now at a series uh, just started last week. And we're looking at the, the phrase, for such a time as this, and we're looking at different subjects. And this week, we're looking at the subject of Integrity believe it or not. We're looking at integrity this week and we're going to use Daniel as our example of what we can learn and look at with regards to integrity. Now it seems to me that integrity seems to be something that's quite hard to get but quite easy to to lose. And it, it seems to be that people like to have a go at people for losing integrity. Just this weekend You might know the story I'm referring to, but in the news this weekend, there was politicians having a go at each other and one accusing the other one of losing their integrity. That was the word that was used. And we all know that it's a really bad thing to lose our integrity and we can use it to whip people with. 
So integrity is an important thing. How would you describe integrity? Shout out some words that you might use or, or chat to the person next to you. You would say, somebody says to you, I'm sorry, I've never heard of this word. What is integrity? How would you describe integrity to somebody else? What would you say? Doing the right thing even when no one's watching. Oh, she's stolen one of my slides. That's the... <laughs> That's a really good one, that is. Well done, well done. (laughs) Uh, Doing the right thing when no one's watching. Whatever that right thing is, who decides that? Well, we're going to explore a bit more and find out a bit more about integrity. And we're going to use Daniel as our base for it. So let's look a little bit more at the story of Daniel. So we look at the setting. We find out that Judah, that the last bit of Israel has fallen. So you can see where Jerusalem is. The the, the big bit of Israel has already crumbled away, but Judah has eventually fallen. It is no more. And the royalty and the nobles, they've all been enslaved and carted off to Babylon. Babylon is is modern day Iraq. And and Babylon is just below Baghdad. Not that Baghdad was probably there back then. So it looked like the Babylonian gods had won. The Babylonian gods had, had conquered the, the Judean gods, our God. But actually, God has said time and time and time and time again to the Jewish nation, don't live the way you're living. There'll be consequences. Don't act the way you act. There'll be consequences. Don't have other gods before me. There'll be consequences. And guess what? God was right. Surprising that, isn't it? But I want to just point out something here. Because some people see bad things happening and they blame God. God allowing bad things to happen is not the same as God causing bad things. So the war in Ukraine that's taking place is now. We don't blame God for it just because it's taking place. When we have famines, we don't blame God for it because often of man's stupidity of of building and living in in crazy places. When we get uh, corruption and greed, we don't blame God for it. And it's normally powerful men that take all the resources, and it is normally powerful men, unfortunately, as a man standing here, that take all the resources and try and keep them for themselves. God sometimes steps and he sometimes doesn't. But it's not the same as God causing it. Anyway, in our story of Daniel, we don't ever see Daniel blaming God for, for what happened. And God, you know, told Israel, this will be the consequence if you do these things. Please don't do it. But they did. So anyway, back to Daniel. So it seems that Daniel was taken across in roughly about 605 BC across to uh, to. To, to Babylon. And uh, <clears throat> when he arrives, you know, he, he's, he's one of the nobility, but he's young. And then we get the story, the events un- unravel, and you don't know the story, read it, it's a phenomenal story. And then years later, the story's written down, and we get the book of Daniel. <clears throat> and in chapter one, the person writing the account of Daniel gives a wonderful poetic account of this young guy. You know, Daniel is made out to be like a superhero 
and also a, a humble guy of integrity. In, in chapter 1, he, he's, he's called, a, a, in verse 4, a, a young man, no physical defects, handsome, can learn quickly, intelligent. Verse 8, he's got morals, he's got integrity. Verse 17, God gave him everything. Steve's thinking this is you, isn't it? You're thinking, is this Steve Taylor? Is this what, is this? Uh, in verse 20, we're told he's 10 times better than any of the Babylonians, whatever that even means. What does that mean? I'm 10 times better than you. You know, in our reading in chapter 6, he's given more plaudits. He's told he's got exceptional qualities. And I just want to say, you know, you could add on to that probably, you know, he won the Personality of the Year Award in Babylon 10 times in a row. And he, was, he won Artist of the Year 14 times in a row. And he won all the sports prizes as well in Babylon. You can understand what's going on here. Somebody's writing about, about Daniel and they're trying to say, listen, this guy was a special guy. But let me say, when Daniel was shipped across as a slave to Babylon, I don't think he would have felt very special. A slave... Ruined, lost his position. But how God saw him was something different. And I want to say to you that I'm looking at Daniel. I don't want you to compare yourself to Daniel, the guy that we read about, you know, in retrospect. I want you to realize that Daniel was just a, a guy with integrity that remained open to being used by God. And the way that God sees us is often not the way we see ourselves. You know, we're not the finished article yet. But with God's help, we've got an exciting future. And in Daniel's story, because we know the whole story, we kind of know the future when Daniel didn't know it. All he did was remain with God. So, just a a side point here. Daniel and Joseph are are often compared. Joseph, you know, uh, went to, to Egypt. They're often compared because they're both teenagers, they're both shipped off to a foreign land, they're both slaves, they both end up in positions of power, they both could interpret demons, uh, dreams, they both get renamed, and through God, you know, God used them both to bring Israel back again. So let me encourage you not to judge yourself or MDLs too quickly. The key point I want to pull out from the story though is how they both kept their integrity. It cost them dearly. It cost Joseph 20 years in jail. Daniel, you know, it cost him a big problem. We kind of think, you know, it cost him his life. But I won't tell you what happened when he went into the den of hungry lions. If you don't know that bit of the story, you can read that for yourself. So let's explore, you know, what it means to look at maybe personal ambition, personal success versus integrity. You see, Daniel was living in the world. He became a a servant to the king. He had a job to do. And yet, he also stands apart from doing his job and paid the consequences for it. As to his friends, he's got three friends called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And in chapter 3, you can read their story. They, they thought they couldn't do something because of their integrity. And they pay the consequences of it. You know, there's a really funny quote about integrity. It says this. Integrity is really important in the business world. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. 
I'll say that again. Integrity is really important in the business world. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. And, I, and that sounds trivial at one point, but in reality, you know, there's many, many people who try and live the life, tr- trying to succeed, trying to, you know, push themselves on, climb up the, the, the commercial ladder, the corporate ladder, and they do it by trying to fake integrity, thinking there'll be no consequences. You know, it seems to me that ambition or a drive to be successful or just plain selfishness can be a major stumbling block to integrity. But I want to encourage you that that losing your integrity is a bad exchange for a short-term step up the ladder in your career. It's not worth the exchange. And we kind of know that. I love watching Liverpool play football. I love watching sport. But it really bugs me when I see professional footballers diving when they haven't been touched. And, and all the commentators hate it as well. And we all go, oh, they shouldn't do that. And our, our attitude towards them, our expectations of them, our value of them diminishes. I, I want my team to win, but I want them to do it correctly. I remember once I used to play football and I was uh, playing football for a Christian team. Uh, and, and one time the, the ball went out for a throw-in, but it came off my leg just before it went out. And the ref blew and gave the throw-in to, to, to my side. And I said to the ref, no, ref, it came off me. It's the other side's throw-in. And somebody from my team, somebody who used to be a member of this church said, what are you doing? We could have got away with that. I won't tell you who it was, but many of you will know the person. Uh, Could have got away with that. And you think, wow, that's interesting. And really, you know, Daniel could have got away with it as well. You see, I suppose the question is, where do you draw the line? Where do you put your line in the sand and say, I'm not going to do that? Where is the line for you, Sonia? uh, Oh, I missed a wonderful quote. Yeah. Well, that's because Hetty already said it. It It's a good quote, that, isn't it? Integrity is doing whatever is right, even when no one is looking. But Sonia said that, so I wiped out my sermon because, not Sonia, Hetty. So where do we draw the line? Sonia, where do we draw the line? There we go. There we go. The clue was when I said, where do we draw the line? Uh, uh, um, and the reason I'm saying that, in chapter 3, we, we, we get the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Daniel's mates. And they drew the line at not bowing down to golden images. In chapter 6, the story that, that we get, and that Ruth read part of, we get Daniel's line when he was told that he couldn't pray to God for 30 days. And he thought, you know, Daniel could have gone home, shut the, the window and prayed to God. He could have done that. But he thought, no, because that will affect my integrity. If I'm going to pray to God, I'm not going to hide the fact. I'm going to keep the window open so anybody can see me. Massive consequences to him drawing that line. Where do we draw our lines? Do we get drunk at office parties just to fit in? Or do we go along with character assassinations just to fit in? Do we get involved in casual sexism or racism 
just to fit in? Do we get involved in, in blasphemy or general dishonesty just to fit in? You know, I'm not sure where your lines are. Some of them are, are, are black and white and some of them are grey. Some lines are, you know, are, are, are harder to draw and you draw them yourself. If Daniel had, had closed that, that window and prayed behind closed doors, I don't think many people would have thought he'd lost his integrity, but Daniel would have thought he had done. You know, I remember for me once, I had this kind of a epiphany, this kind of moment of realisation. I used to bank at, bank at NatWest Bank on the corner over there. And I used to park the car just too long to nip in and pay in a cheque or get some money out. And I used to only just park the car for five minutes. I used to park the car on the paying display and think, I can nip in, get my money and get back out. And there's no problems. I can't get caught because they've got to give me more time than that. I can get away with it. And I did that for years. Until one day when I was saying the phraseology, I can get away with it, it suddenly hit me. I'm not meant to be trying to get away with it. I'm meant to be trying to be a, a person of integrity. That's not the, the aim of the game, to get away with it. That's what footballers do when they dive. They hope they can get away with it. I changed that practice. That's one I've managed to change. So where are your lines? Are you aware of them? And integrity is not just one thing. It's a whole lot of many things. You don't just lose your integrity and that's it. You know, there's a whole lot of different areas that you've been having battles with. In some areas you can feel a little bit of pride because you know, I've got this area sorted. But in other areas you, you may be, be struggling. So I, I want to encourage you this morning in your step for integrity to, to think about it as as not just one thing, but a, a, a complete thing. You know, the, the, the word integrity is, is very much linked to the word shalom. The, the word integrity comes from the Latin word integer, which means whole or complete. We use it in English for, for whole numbers. We call them integers because they're complete. They've got no remainders. You might remember that at primary school. And the word integer means, you know, complete, whole. And the word shalom is about having the wholeness and completeness of God. So when we're talking about somebody who's got a life of integrity, it's looking at all the aspects. Living a life with God the way God wants us to do it. And when we consider the consequences of integrity, it seems to me that the main consequences of integrity is the ability to leave you as a person that can be used by God. Either, either naturally by being trusted by, by friends, by being promoted at work because people know you as a person of integrity, or being valued by your friends as somebody that they can go to and knowing that they'll get you know, honest, sincere, good advice because you're a person of integrity. But also supernaturally, by, by staying in communication with God by not putting stumbling blocks in, the, in our relationship with God, then God can speak to us and we can be used by God. His power flowing through us is one of the advantages of living a life of integrity. Sometimes integrity leads us into losing position, like it did for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and it did for, for Daniel. But sometimes it can lead us into places where miracles can take place, because we, we step out in faith. 
I want to point out, and this is picking up from Frank's talk last week, uh, that Daniel was a man of integrity and was used amazingly by God. But we don't need to be a, a, have amazing strength or be phenomenal people to be used by God. We just need to lay God, lay before God our weaknesses and who we are. And in our weaknesses be people of integrity and therefore be able to be used by God. Integrity is not something for super people. It's something that we can control. You know, it is in standing up and keeping our integrity that we have the opportunity to be used by God. Let me tell you, and uh, my family will, will verify this, you know, I blow often. Don't let that worry you being somebody that gets it wrong. Sometimes, if you blow it in a big way, your integrity can be lost forever for people. But let me suggest to you that what we need to be is be humble with our integrity. And very quickly, where you can, apologise, say sorry, and look at rebuilding relationships and rebuilding your, uh, your integrity with that person or in that situation. Uh, I don't think that there's many situations that once your integrity is lost, it's lost forever. But it can take some effort and some humility. I want to you know, remind you and encourage you just to then take a, take a breath and relax before you say or do things. Because we are Christ's ambassadors, his representatives. You know, just one final thought on this is that perhaps it was because Daniel was not on his own that he was able to maintain his integrity. Daniel had some mates to hold him accountable. He had somebody to hold him accountable. And I want to encourage you this morning, or by, begin by asking you a question, have you got anybody that you are accountable to right now? Have you got somebody that if you're struggling, you go and speak to and say, can you help me in this area? Can you prod me? Can you check on me? Can you call me, text me, pray for me? Whatever it may be, is there somebody or more than one person in your life that helps you maintain your integrity? That if you're struggling, you know that you could go to. I don't mean is there somebody you could do that with, I'm asking you, is there somebody you are doing that with? And if, this, if the answer is, well, no, there's somebody I could do, but I'm not doing it now, let me encourage you to do that. Let me encourage you to not try and do that on your own. The other spiritual aspect of that is, is that we also have the Holy Spirit with us to help us in that journey. The Holy Spirit is called the Comforter, the Counselor. And we know as Christians we have the Holy Spirit inside us to, to guide us, to direct us, and to help us with these decisions. That moral compass inside us, that conscience inside us, helping us to choose the path of integrity. You know, no matter your position in society, no matter how high you are or how low you are, nobody can take your integrity away from you. You can only choose to give it away. Let me encourage you not to do that. So just in summary, my questions for you this morning are, is ambition, is 
personal success more important to you than integrity? Where are you drawing your lines? And who is helping you in keeping your integrity?